on this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hacker and Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. We're bringing the latest OU news and we preview OU Kent State with Alan Moff in the National College Football Roundup. We preview the biggest games in week two and we finish up giving you our winners and losers of the week. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hosty will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Wednesday, September 7th, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Layman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and there are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and Teddy's favorite, craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And to learn more about their gaming promotions and entertainment options in the month of September, visit Riverwind.com. If you're going to the game Saturday, people, come on, go gamble at Riverwind. What are you doing? Do it before, do it after. Riverwind Casino, simply the best. Now, a little different this week. We're recording this late Tuesday night, which is unusual for us. Still, please leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. But, Ted, before we get to the, to the OU football stuff and we preview OU Kent State, I feel like we pride ourselves in being pretty open with the people that listen to this podcast. I will not be at the game on Saturday. <laughs> no you will not i i will not be part of the radio broadcast uh no i didn't get fired you may think i suck and you want me to be get fired that didn't happen just suspended I, it's just a one game suspension i, I am not <laughs> suspended don't do that man people yeah, think you're, yeah, it's, i i i am a groomsman in a wedding in colorado lifelong friend also is my wife's cousin. So I, and I am, I, I, I did not react well when he told me when the wedding was going to be, but I family over everything. Right. That's uh, right. Mean, that is, that is how I've always lived my life. So I will be, I will be missing from the sidelines of this game. It's going to be weird, man. It's going to be really weird. Yeah. It will be weird without you there. Um, yeah, um, hopefully we handle this. I don't know what we're going to do if it's the second half blowout though. You know, I, I am the guy that fills all the air in the second half blowout. So you're going to have to start texting us some stuff in or something. I don't know. 
I'll, I'll find some interesting facts about Kent State. Send them your way just in case. But yeah, so um, got got other things I got to do this weekend. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I haven't done a ton of studying of Kent State. Of course I have, Ted. I mean, what, what else am I going to do with my time? Well, yeah, um, let, let's just hope that nothing happens between now and the game on Saturday. Um, hopefully it's not a problem that we're doing this thing a little early, but I don't know. We don't need, we don't need any emergency uh, pods between now and the game. Now and Sunday, I guess, rather. Our, our record of, of emergency pods remains intact. We've never done one. <laughs> We've never done one, so... Well, let's hope nothing. I mean, I don't even know what would have to happen for us to do that, but I don't know. Hopefully yeah. nothing. Yeah. But let's talk some OU. Captains. This is interesting, right? Different captains. Yeah. I don't, I, don't I, I assume some guys are going to be like repeat captains. I'm not entirely sure how that whole thing is going to work, but Brent Venables named captains for this game. And it's Eric Gray, Reggie Grimes, Chris Murray, Theo Weiss, and Woody Washington. Clearly, guys that have played a lot of football now here, uh, guys that the the coaching staff uh, have, have spoken really highly of. So it, it's no surprise. It's just interesting how they're doing it because this is this is not how it's been done in the past. Yeah, and I don't know how many people heard it because I don't think he's talked about it anywhere else. But last week on the coaches show, he talked about the captains and there'll be different captains every week until November, uh, championship November. Then they'll they'll name their permanent captains and their permanent captains will be fitted and they'll have like these crimson jackets like like the like when in the masters you'll have your own captain's jacket uh that they wear so uh pretty cool like whenever you get named as the permanent captain in in championship november it's it's going to be a really big deal yeah and he he talked a little bit about his press uh, at his presser on tuesday and i thought it was interesting he was like i he said something like i want these guys to stay hungry like and almost like not feel like they've arrived as a captain. I thought it was yeah. pretty interesting way of, yeah. I, I never really heard a coach talk about being a captain that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And I, you know, if you look back at it and you think, honestly, there may be some truth to that. There might be some truth to that. You know, you're still, you're still trying to earn that spot and you need to stay hungry because it's going to be a big deal. And um, you can see that they're going to rotate different guys through and it, some of it's going to be based on performance. Others going to be based on things off the field, obviously. So as of right now, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how it works out. Just hadn't seen that around here. So uh, pretty interesting. Cool for those guys though. It is a, yeah. you, you did it. I did it. It is. It's a cool experience getting to walk out of that tunnel first and just having everyone Nothing like it. Yep. Everyone looking at you and then walking out to midfield. It's, it, it, it's really, really cool. Okay. I don't know if you're going to be happy about this or not. <laughs> Sooners climbing in the AP poll up to number seven, Ted. They're getting awfully close to the area where they are not flying under the radar like you want them to. Seven is basically top five, man. Are you, 
I, I can see the disappointment on your face already. It is. It is basically top five, especially whenever you're behind Texas A&M at six, which if anyone can ever figure out why Texas A&M is at number six, just just give me a shout. Let me know. Uh, email us, comment, whatever. Haynes, Haynes King has a problem when it comes to throwing the ball to the other team. I don't know if you yeah. saw their opener, but yeah, he continues to throw it to the other team, which is problematic at the quarterback position. Very, very problematic. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to be able to fly under the radar. Um, you know, you had some big matchups in week one, right? You had Utah playing Florida, incredible football game. Uh, you had um, uh, Notre Dame, Ohio State. So a couple of teams in front of you lost and you know you just you naturally bump up pretty quickly and you know there's there's going to be some other opportunities to to rise through the polls as the season rolls on but as of right now seven i'm okay with you you can live with that good i can live with that i just it we're we're getting awfully close to you being like oh this <laughs> this is annoying well but well that I, I love it you know i i love yeah. I love this team having to embrace high expectations. And if they keep climbing, that usually means, uh, you know, some other teams may be losing, but it certainly means they keep winning. Okay. So if you are new to the podcast, this is typically how we do it once we're in the season, right? Our, our midweek episode will be one where we have, we, we typically interview someone that covers the opponent that OU is going to play, or sometimes we'll have a broadcaster that's going to be on the TV call of the game, something like that. And we get, we tr try to get a little more insight from them uh, about OU's opponent that week. So this week we've got Alan Moff who has been covering Kent state football for like 15 years. <laughs> so, he's the expert. The yeah, guy. So he's, he's seen a lot of Kent state football, but we also, in these episodes, we like to, we like to talk about things we're going to be watching for, you know, things that could be different this week than they were last week. So um, do you want to start with offense or defense? Um, we could start with offense. Look at you. Look, look yeah. at you go. Okay. Yeah. What, one of the, I, I think one of the most important things looking ahead to this game on Saturday, Daniel Parker's going to be back, right? What BV said he missed with the sniffles. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I'm glad he's going to be back in the game, which him being available on Saturday. If you, if you watched OU's offense closely against UTEP, they were pretty much in one personnel group, right? They, they played 11 personnel essentially the entire game with Braden Willis being the only tight end that played, you know, when, when the game was still in the balance, but we, so we haven't seen any of their 12 personnel stuff so far in the season because Daniel Parker was not available. It's going to be really interesting to see how Jeff Levy breaks up the personnel groupings, like how much 12 personnel are they going to use? How different does the offense look? You know, from a schematic standpoint, when Daniel Parker and Braden Willis are on the field, how much is Daniel Parker going to be the tight end on the field in their 11 personnel stuff, right? Do they want to give get Braden, Braden Willis some breaks here and there and have Parker be the only tight end 
out there. This is this is a really interesting storyline heading into this game for me. I don't I don't know how much they necessarily want to show, right? Because Kent State is is going to be drastically overmatched in this football game, but I, I do think you want to start getting into playing in your personnel groupings that you feel are your strongest. And I think they feel 12 is so. And if, if you don't understand personnel groupings, it's number of running backs, then number of tight ends. So 12 is one running back, two tight ends. So if anyone was confused about that, but it's going to be interesting to see if they feel 12 is their best personnel grouping, you got to start working on it, right? I mean, you got to start throwing it out there in games. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. You, you, I, surprise is uh, something that's really good in football as it is in, in, in any competition, but there's plenty of 12 personnel on, on film from Levy's previous stops. Like if you roll up in 12, it's not going to shock anyone. Uh, so yeah, it's nice to go out there, work some of the kinks out. I'll tell you why I'm, why I'm excited. Brayden Willis was the player of the game. I picked him as the player of the game after the broadcast. Um, Venables tonight on the coaches show said that Brayden Willis was his favorite player from week one. Well, Daniel Parker is like, like almost the equivalent of, of what you're going to get whenever it comes to the block, blocking aspect. Uh, you know, some may argue he's better. So, you add that to the mix, like that can mean some really, really impressive things for OU's run game. And also not to mention, Brain Willis played more snaps than anyone else on offense. And I thought he played all of those snaps with a high motor, high energy, uh, high level of execution. Imagine if he's able to spell out every now and then, catch a breather or two, and then come back in the game to have a fresh, tight end out there with the blocking ability and and level of play that you get from both Daniel Parker and Brayden Willis is, is going to help take this offense to the next level. I'm with you. And that's why I, I can't wait to see what it looks like. So uh, another thing I'm really interested to see in this game, Kent State has switched their defense, right? They hired Jeremiah Johnson, their new defensive coordinator. He is implementing the 335 there at Kent State. So, you know, a lot of people want to call it the Iowa State style of defense, right? And OU sees a lot of that in the Big 12, man. I mean, there's all kinds of teams in this conference running it. So that is not what UTEP did, right? UTEP was a 425 team. I mean, that's that's kind of what their base structure is. This is gonna be a structure of a defense that this team's going to see more of in the big 12. Now Kent state does not have a bunch of elite personnel on the defensive side of the ball. I'm not going to make it sound like they do, but from a structural standpoint, this is a scheme that I want to see how they perform against. Right. And because this is Levy's new offense, you're not, you're seeing, he saw some of it, not quite as much of it, in the SEC, so I'm just I'm just kind of interested to see how he attacks it, you know. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and you know, some people may may disagree 
but I feel like you, like the best way, and, it, and it's really no different than any other defense, I guess, whenever you think about it, but you have to absolutely punish them in the running game. You have to punish them in the running game and, and feel, make them feel like they have to come out of the big shell coverages uh, where they can keep everything in front of them in the passing game. They have to come out of that in order to force your hand in the running game and get some stops at the line of scrimmage to keep you um, to where you're somewhat predictable. That's what they want. They want to, to keep everything in front of them, you know, force you to have to inch it down the field. Hope, hopefully at some point you make a critical mistake, you get a penalty, there's a holding call, you get behind the chains and, and they can, uh, they can get a stop. If you can run the ball for five or six yards of carry, it don't matter, right? If you can blow them off the line of scrimmage, it doesn't matter what they're in, and you can you can really start to dictate and force them into some aggressive fronts, and that way you can take advantage of your skill position talent and start pushing the ball down the down the field to make them pay. Yeah, and you know one thing to keep an eye on just watching Kent State's opener against Washington, they they just got murdered by Washington on like 15 to 20 yard throws to the sideline, just massive gaping holes in their coverage there. And Michael Penix just like threw it there over and over and over again. And they had chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. I would assume they'll, they'll sure some of that up after just getting completely exposed by Washington with it. But I I would not be surprised to see OU test that area of the field early and often because, man, they showed a just glaring weakness in coverage in that area. Well, and it'll be difficult for them, you know, because our slot guy in Mims is going to make that the overhang player want to show him a lot of attention before he releases and gets out underneath number one receiver. And if you got a big arm quarterback that's accurate and can thread that in there, you can make those type of throws all day long. So, yeah, it's it's you know you put them in a tough spot. They start overplaying and getting out of there too quickly. You start maybe trying to pick them apart in the the you know the middle of the field, the underneath stuff. But yeah, I I'm interested to see what Libby's game plan is. Like I, you know, kind of. You know, watching them against a traditional style of defense, you got kind of traditional style offense. Curious to see how this goes. I mean, my biggest thing is the offensive line needs to have a really big day because it doesn't matter what offense it is and it doesn't matter what defense it is. If you can move guys off the line of scrimmage and get the running game going, that's where it all starts. Yeah, sounds like it's it's going to be a tough week of practice for those guys along the offensive line. Uh, some emphasis on finishing a little better. So, yeah, I would expect them to to play at a higher level in, in this one. And you expect the same starting lineup? Yeah, I really don't. I, I just don't know if you can trust Savion Bird at, to start him out there at left guard. Like, I, I just don't know if you do, if you can. I'll, yeah. I'll tell you this. Beatenbow is reevaluating every single guy every single day on the practice. Like that's that's how he operates, anyways. But until Wanye comes back, 
which, you know, BV talked about it. There really no update on that off the field issue for him. I, I, I feel like you got to put your five best that you trust the most out there. And I would expect it to look the same. I think. Yeah. Will I be shocked if it looks different? No. I mean, that, Savion Bird, I think, could be, you know, the best guard on this team. But if you can't trust him to do everything right each snap, then eh. where did where did Taylor play? Did he play guard or did he play tackle? He Jake played Taylor. right guard. And with Chris Murray being a captain this game, I got a feeling Chris is going to be getting the old nod at right guard. Yeah, because, you know, someone asked a question. We took like a academy sports and outdoors question and the question was who of the guys the younger guys that played in the game Saturday who do you think earned more time in in this next upcoming game and he went through he said like Gavin Freeman and some of those guys and he said Jake Taylor so I don't know what that means if it means anything at all maybe not but um, that was at least something I'll tell you right now with the way that Matower and Conjo played at left guard, stick him at left guard. Let's see what the kids got. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> I, I would have no problem with that. Like, let's see yeah. if he sinks or swims. Uh, I'd be all for it. But the, the only, I think the only other question I have offensively is w- with this style of defense that Kent state's about to play, right. Bunch of deep zone how does Dylan Gabriel handle it? Right. Like how, how does he operate against this style? Does he force some throws? Does he, is he patient? Like how, how does he go through his progressions? Like he's going to have to play some, I mean, it sounds dumb, but he's going to have to play some quarterback in this game. They're not just going to give him a bunch of deep shots. And I'm sure Levy's going to try his best to scheme some of those up, but he is he's going to have to play boring quarterback at some points in this game and just wonder what it's going to look like for him no i i agree it it's interesting you know this this style of defense was hell on lincoln riley's system right and you know a lot of the quarterbacks that we've had have had a really hard time you know just taking what they give you and being you know, you get so used to the the go 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 mentality and big chunk plays and pushing it down the field and you know hitting big explosive runs that whenever that doesn't happen right out of the gate, you start to get antsy and they bait you into forcing some throws that you just don't need to make. So, yeah, we'll see. This is this is it's an interesting test, really, on both sides of the ball for OU. You know we'll get to the defense but it's just it's such a stark contrast to week one with what we're going to get in week two stylistically yeah no doubt yeah let's let's talk some defense so as you as you look at OU's defense heading this game what kind of you know questions comments what, what what do you got well um I think it's interesting you know just kind of looking at this game that that Kent state is going to present, um, you know, it, it's going to, there's going to be a lot of similarities to some of the stuff that, that we see in this conference from teams. And, you know, it's going to be different than UTEP. UTEP was slow getting a huddle, 
line up, wait till you get lined up, wait till you get adjusted, look over their sideline. They say, yeah, that's, yeah, we're fine to run a play against this. And then you run a play. And it's not what it's going to be against Kent State. It's going to be breakneck speed, super fast. They're not waiting on you for anything. They're going to be snapping the ball really quickly. So you've got to get lined up. You've got to get ready to play and be ready for that next snap. Um, they've got really good skill guys, uh, way better skill guys than what we just faced. They got a quarterback that is a dual threat guy. He can make you pay in the run game. They'll have plenty of run game dialed up for him. Um, you know, and, you know, just talking with Coach Venables, one of the things that they do, and this is, this is what really hammers defenses that are not experienced whenever they split your defense by, you know, they'll run the quick motion, fake the quick to this side and run quarterback counter or another play back to the other side. And the secondary is adjusting to the quick motion. And then, you know, you've got the play action that way. And then you've got like a quarterback counter. It's a lot going on and you really have to have your eyes in the right place to know exactly what your responsibility is. So, you know, this is going to be more of a test this week mentally than it is physically. Now, physically, like the the up-tempo, the conditioning aspect of it, the can you think, can you process information whenever you're winded, like that's going to be a physical challenge. But mentally, knowing where you're going to be, knowing what your responsibility is, is going to be quite a bit tougher than it was week one. Yeah, and uh, I th- they call it the fast flash offense yeah. right and the guy the guy that is the head coach for Kent State Sean Lewis was with Dino Babers which is pretty much I mean that's Levy's offense right so you're you're looking you're looking at a Kent State offense that runs a very similar style kind of s- spread you out do a lot of different things to you like like Oklahoma does now under Levy LPOs, so yeah so it's it's going to be interesting. But one of the things that, and, and I know this may sound stupid, but people have been complimenting the defense pretty much all week, right? You tackled well. Hey, this is, you know, the OU's getting back to playing great defense. Like, how do they respond to hearing all that stuff? Like, and, and I know Venables is the ultimate, like, re-humble you and get you focused coach but these kids are still seeing that stuff all over social media and hearing it hearing it from their friends and all that stuff so i i'm just interested to see you know how do they respond to you know having a pretty successful opening performance right i i think that's that's only natural to wonder and then the tempo stuff is interesting because Handling tempo and practice is one thing. They practice against it all the time, right? But it's different on game day. It just is, right? It's different. I mean, the coaches are, and the coaches are way farther away, right? Out, way out on the sideline, and you're trying to get everything. It's just chaos out there. So I, I am interested to see how efficiently they handle how fast Kent State's offense wants to go. No, I I agree. Um and that's going to be the problem, right? That's going to be the 
that's going to be the the big adjustment from week one to week two. Now, <laughs> judging off of, of what Coach Vittable said tonight at the coaches show, I don't think we have to worry about them uh, seeing how they respond to to some success. Uh, <laughs> Toby asked him how practice went, and he started laughing. He said, you want the truth? <laughs> so I think it was the classic, you think you played well, you know, welcome to back down to reality where coach, the staff makes it a point. Right? Whenever you think you, you went out there and, and had a, a fairly sharp game that they're going to make, life miserable that week and that's kind of the impression that i got um which is a good thing because it it is a big challenge but you're right the communication aspect this is always going to be first and foremost whenever you're playing a team that is uh plays at a breakneck speed you got to remember everyone out there it's still their first time in this defense and there's a lot of new starters right and you know, you've you've got some experience out there, but there's also some guys that are that are still working through things and still maybe trying to find their voice. And you know, you always want communication, but a lot of times you don't get communication because everyone out there is so worried about trying to figure out what it is that they're supposed to do that they're not communicating a whole lot else. They're just worried about, gosh, I just need to be in the right place. And I kind of feel like that's maybe where we are at this point in time in this defense, it's going to get better. And the more opportunities you get in games, uh, you expect that to continue to, to increase and, and they're going to look better from, from one week to the next. And I hope that's the case this week, because if not, you know, this is a little bit different than, than UTEP. If you're scattered out there and you've got guys that are not all on the same page, they can make you look really bad really quickly with some explosive plays. Yeah. And I mean, last thing defensively for me, Kent State wants to run the football, right? And you look, they were the third leading rushing team in FBS last season. Right? Marquez Cooper, their running back, he, he's a solid back. But Colin Schley, which is just an awesome name for a quarterback, <laughs> he, just from what I saw from him against Washington, He's not a, you know, he's not a home run threat as a runner, but they're going to dial up some QB run game uh, for him. And I'm, I'm really interested to see how, how OU's defense handles that, right? It's, yeah. it's going to be, didn't see that against UTEP, right? Haven't seen it. Um, so that, that's really the big question for me. Dante Cephas, their wide receiver, that guy can play. I mean, 14 yeah. for, for Kent State can play, but, I think if if they can shut down this rushing attack for Kent State, that this defense is going to be a really good spot in this football game. Totally agree. That's going to be that's going to be first and foremost, and shutting down the run and getting after the quarterback. Uh, if you could put pressure on him, make life really difficult, and not let him get going in the running game, guys are going to have to tackle really well. Um, you know, what worries me is the deep ball. That's the, you know, I keep talking about the contrast in styles. Kent State is going to throw it deep on you a bunch. And UTEP didn't push it downfield, I don't think, one time. So you're going to have to be ready on the outside. Our corners are going to get tested. Our safeties are going to get tested. 
um, you know, our backers are going to get really tested in some of the running game and the misdirection and, you know, and can they help it out on some of the RPO stuff? I mean, they're going to throw a lot at you at a, at a really quick pace. So this is, it's, I think this is actually like the way that the non-conference is working out is I think it's a really good mix and you can kind of see where you stand against a couple of different styles, you know, including what you're going to see from Lincoln or uh, from Nebraska in Lincoln. Yeah. And Kent state, like they, they played for the Mac title last year. Yeah. I mean, they're picked, they, they were picked, picked preseason to win their division again. So, yep. uh, I mean, it's not, it's not like they're some God awful program. So no, uh, they're going to, no. they're, they've been top five or top 10. I think, Last year, I think they were right around the top ten, and the two years previous, I think they were top five offense in the in the country. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting test for the defense. All right, let's get to call your shot. We asked you guys for your bold predictions for OU Kent State. This first one comes from RB Mojo on Twitter, who says closer than comfortable until five minutes left in the second quarter. Yeah, and I I said this before week one, and I think it's the case in week two. The first couple of series against Kent State are going to be difficult. They're going to shock you a little bit with the tempo. They're probably going to shock you with some exotic formations and shifts and motions and plays to keep you off balance. They're going to have, you know, some type of scripted first portion of the game, whether it's five plays or 15 or whatever it might be. Uh, it's probably going to be super fast, exotic, um, you know, different shifts just to mess with your eyes. And it's going to be a lot to adjust to. If you can make it through the first couple of series, you'll be just fine. But those are going to be the difficult ones. Yeah. I mean, they played, they played Washington tough early. I yeah. mean, they, they, they really did. Okay, this other one comes from Dustin Moore, whose Twitter handle is Texas underscore sucks. Which is congrats on getting that one, Dustin. He says Theo Weiss and Marvin Mims both get 100 plus yards receiving. I I think I think oh you can have a big day throwing the football. I do. Now it goes back to what you said about the run game. You got to get the run game going early. You gotta make you gotta make them kind of pick, hey, are you gonna come up and stop the run or are you just gonna let us run it all over you all day? And maybe they choose, hey, we're gonna sit back in coverage and let you run it. I mean, maybe that's what yep. they do. But yeah, I think after watching what Washington did did to them, now they didn't throw it over their head a lot, but man, they had so many chunk plays of 20, 25 yards in the passing game. I'd be I'd be surprised if OU can't replicate that. Yeah, and that the Theo Weiss pick is interesting. Um, like if they don't have an answer for what Washington did to him on the outside, that could translate to a big game for him. He's really good at running those sideline routes, little comebacks there by the chains, and and uh, some nifty stuff out there on the edges. Yeah, no doubt. All right, let's get to birthday shoutouts. Happy eighth birthday to Nash Bird. Happy 10th birthday to Andrew Henson. 
happy 12th birthday to Madeline Mad Dog Jones. <laughs> happy 21st birthday to Lance Corporal Rowdy Butler. Happy 57th birthday to Judy. And I think your last name is Graves. I'm not sure, though. The, uh, the Twitter DM was a little confusing on that. Happy 58th birthday to Tim Kirby. Happy 74th birthday to Tom Newton. And happy birthday to Susan Chandler. And happy birthday to Jan Hay. All right, let's talk to uh, a man that has probably watched more Kent State football than, I don't know, maybe anyone else on planet Earth. Alan Moff, but first. The only place to stop when you're road tripping is Love's Travel Stops. Love's has over 600 locations in 41 states, offering 24-hour access to clean and safe places. Whatever your road trip needs are, Love's has it. Fuel, fresh food, all the snacks and drinks, including, yes, my favorite, Java. Amore. That coffee is fantastic. Loves also as you covered if you forget your phone charger or headphones. They've expanded their mobile to go zone so you can grab any of that stuff there. Make sure you download the Loves Connect app for exclusive offers from today's most popular brands. The Loves Connect Connect app also includes a route planner and store locator. When you see that red neon heart on the highway, stop in and say hi at Loves Travel Stops. For a full list of what Loves has to offer, visit loves.com. Monopolis Clothing is the exclusive home for all of our Oklahoma Breakdown merchandise. If you want to live your life in buttery soft comfort, go to opolisclothing.com. That's O-P-O-L-I-S clothing.com. Use promo code TED, T-E-D, for 10% off your entire order. You still get a discount on all the OU and OKC Thunder gear as well. That's opolisclothing.com. Use promo code TED for 10% off, buttery soft, and 10% off. And make sure you send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. With a 12-to-1 student-to-teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. There are numerous clubs and organizations for students to join. And as a proud member of the OSSAA, there are 14 sports offered. Beat the hell out of Bishop Bishop Kelly, McGinnis. <laughs> Come on, battle of the bishops this week, Tad. Let's go. I like it. If you need more information, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Remember, financial aid is available. Okay, one note before the interview. I, for, I forgot to plug my mic in, so, <laughs> so the audio kind of sucks, which is a first. You know, there's a first time for everything, so... Uh, I am uh, my apologies for the audio quality. It's not, it's not up to the standard we try to have on here, but uh, here is, here's Alan Muff. It is our pleasure to be joined by a man that has watched a whole lot of Kent state football. He covers them for the record courier. Alan Muff is in the house. Alan, how's it going, man? Going pretty well, man. Good, good. I, I mean, let's jump right into it. Kent State not not starting off the season with an easy slate in the non-conference. You got Washington, Oklahoma playing Georgia. They're taking on all challengers, apparently. Alan, what is what's that like for that program? Man, that I, clearly the checks they're getting for those games are important. Yeah, they kind of committed to this. Uh, I think it was 2018. They started playing three uh, 
you know, big time power fives. Now they've, they've taken it to another level this year <laughs> with Washington um, yourselves in Georgia. Um, but yeah, you, you, you hit it on the head. Uh, it's kind of the, the, the previous AD and the people that were in charge back then uh, decided this was the model to kind of pay for the football programs so they could, uh, you know, the rest of the athletic department can benefit. So the, the football program is kind of the sacrificial lamb, I guess you would say, especially this year. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Okay. Looking at the opener against Washington, what, what were kind of your main takeaways from that game for Kent state? Well, I mean, you know, Colin Schley is their new quarterback. Um, he had played a little bit in the past. He was a backup last couple of years, but, I mean, you know, you'd hear a lot of things about him in practice, making a lot of plays. I mean, the, 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 the his teammates, his coaches, they're all very confident when they rolled him in there that, um, you know, he's not going to be a the guy who replaced Dustin Crum was a player of the year in the, in the MAC last year. Um, obviously, you don't step in and do that, but they were pretty confident in this kid, and he showed some things. Uh, they were very happy with what he did. Um, you know, what he's able to do is make some plays, made some down the field plays, made some good decisions. They run a, you know, an offense similar to yours where the quarterback has a lot of responsibility. And uh, they were overall pretty pleased with him. Um, so that's number one. Um, you know, offensively, they wasn't a great game, but they didn't uh, certainly didn't embarrass themselves. Um, they were able to move the ball a little bit. Um, you know, defensively, they just ran into a, a quarterback that um, is really good. And the Penix kid's really good. Um, you know, they, they tried to play some pretty soft coverage and hope that they could, you know, just kind of hang around and, and hope they made some mistakes. And honestly, they didn't put enough pressure on Washington to make them make any mistakes. Um, and they just kind of did whatever they wanted to do. Yeah, the the offense that Sean Lewis brought to Kent State is really interesting to me, right? The fast flash offense. You look at Colin Schley running at quarterback. Who are some of his weapons that he's got at his disposal on that offense? Well, the main guy is a wide receiver named Dante Cephas, who he had 100 yards last week. Um, his nickname is Slim. He's pretty thin, but he's gotten a lot bigger, um, especially in the last year or so. Um, he showed some physicality against Washington, and obviously they have some pretty good corners, um, obviously, especially if you're a MAC team jumping up there. Um, he, he had some yards after catch, looked real strong. Um, he's a really good player. He had you know 1,200 yards receiving last year. So um, he's definitely their biggest offensive weapon. Um, and they have a running back by the name Marquez Cooper, who didn't have a great game. He didn't have a lot of running room, but uh, especially again at the MAC level, he's a really good all-around back. Runs hard, kind of a short, stocky guy that has a lot of power. Um, and he's a really good player. He just didn't have left. He didn't have much room to run last week. But uh, those are the kind of the two main weapons, um, you know. And I, I, I a lot of other guys that are kind of capable, but those are the two definitely that have emerged. So looking looking at this game against Oklahoma for Kent State, where do you think, if anywhere, they could kind of find an advantage offensively against Oklahoma's defense? Oh man, I don't see that <laughs> advantage. Uh, you're hoping to find some ways to maybe scheme them up a little bit and catch them by surprise here and there. Um, you know, the thing about Oklahoma is, like you said, they run basically the same offense as Kent. A lot of times Kent State plays teams, even power five teams at times that really haven't seen that, especially the way they try to do it. They try to go real fast, but Oklahoma does this. <laughs> so they're not going to catch them by surprise there. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. It's a really tough matchup, quite obviously, um, you know, especially in the trenches. They've got two offensive linemen that are returning starters. The rest of the guys are, are very young, uh, haven't played a whole lot. So that's your biggest fear, especially when you go into a team 
with, with the people that Oklahoma has up front, um, you know, how those guys can just hopefully hold up and, and make it interesting. Yeah, be, before we dive into Kent State's defense, I thought it was interesting, right? They, they play in Washington, which is obviously a long way from Kent. Why? I saw that they're staying in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They didn't go back home. Why? What all went into that decision? I thought that was really interesting. He just basically, Coach Lewis said, is, you know, they obviously wouldn't have had class on Monday. So you're leaving Thursday. Basically, they would have drove, they would have came all the way back across the country to essentially go to class for two days. Um, at the most, depending on travel and this, that, and the other. So I think it was really a pretty easy decision. And obviously it'll save them some money too, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, just the fact that they were capable, you know, the ability to do it, they found a place to practice and they found ways to coordinate it. And uh, really Labor Day was the key. Um, not having classes that Monday really kind of pushed it over the edge to make it a pretty pretty simple decision really to pull that off. Yeah, I thought, it, thought that was cool. Um, hopefully they enjoyed Tulsa. So it's a nice town, but looking at Kent State's defense, you know, OU with what they do offensively, they want to build everything uh, off the run game. Does Kent State have the guys up front defensively to maybe give the Sooners some trouble? Well, and then there you have it. That's the, their defensive kind of has kind of struggled the past several years, but the main issue has been stopping the run. Uh, They've really struggled to do that. Um, for the past several years now, I will say that they have more guys coming back up front than they ever had. They've had more experience up front. Um, they're better equipped this year than they've been. But to sit here and say that they're going to be able to pull that off, that, that's going to be really difficult. Um, you know, just depth wise, like I said, they're in better shape. They can roll some bodies in and out and hopefully not get as worn down. But they have one guy that's over 280 pounds. So their matchup when they're trying to, to stop the run, it's difficult even in their conference, you know, weight-wise and strength-wise to do that. Um, when you run up against an Oklahoma with one guy that's over 280, that's tough. That's tough to stop them from just running the ball down your throat. So that's the thing that, you know, they're going to try to come in here and hopefully can somehow they can pull that off and not just be physically hammered <laughs> up front. But that's the, the number one thing when they play these games is that they try to somehow offset that fact that they're really physically mismatched up front. It's difficult. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. Now, for, for people that are going to be watching this game, when, when Kent State's defense is on the field, who, who are the best players for Kent State's defense? Who, who kind of stands out? Who are those playmakers for them on that side? Well, the, the one guy that they do have, it is over uh, 280, is uh, C.J. West. He's a 315-pound kind of the guy on the nose in the middle. His job is to stuff the run and, and plug things up. Um, He's still a young guy, but he's played for a third year. He's gotten a lot stronger, and he he really stood up, really held up well against Washington. They were really happy with how, what he did. Um, so it really kind of all starts with him as far as stopping the run goes. Um, beyond that, uh, going to the back end, they have some safeties that they're really, really high on. Um, Antoine Richardson, uh, transfer from Maryland. Uh, JoJo Evans, transfer from Marshall. Both had real solid games, um, you know, in the, in, against Washington. Um they're pretty high in their corners at their level. Now their corners last week really struggled to try to handle Washington's guys. They tried to, like I said, they played a real soft coverage and they did keep them from going over top, but at the same time they sacrificed just getting dinked and dunked right down the field against a good quarterback. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the main guys. They got a couple of intriguing guys. They got a Keyshawn Gamble who was injured all last year. Didn't play. He's back. 
he's like a 280 pound guy that used to be a, he actually came in as a fullback and was a linebacker for a while. And he kept, kept gaining weight, kept gaining weight. So he's a big guy that they try to bring off the edge just for some mismatch type things. He can move real well for his size. Um, and then their linebackers are all grad transfers. Um, kid from Syracuse, uh, Juan Wallace. Um, and, and, you know, just they got some experience there. Um, but at the same time, a bunch of kids that never really played together. So they're still, still trying to figure things out under a first-year defensive coordinator as well. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, first-year defensive coordinator. Jeremiah Johnson has kind of switched him over to that 3-3-5 and didn't didn't probably go as well as he wanted it to in week one against Washington, right? Well, that's tough if you're Kent, like, you know, we keep bringing this up, but it's the obvious point here. I mean, you're, you're, you're trying to change some things up in your first two challenges when you're Kent State or Washington and Oklahoma. You're really trying to – you really kind of have a hard time figuring out where exactly you are when you play those games, honestly. I mean, you're going to see certain kids are going to hold up better than others, yeah, but to sit here and say – did we execute the plan? Did we do, are we are we doing the things we're trying to do? Are the changes working? You really don't know. I mean, cause until you really start playing some teams that are comparable to you, but uh, you definitely will find out who's going to fight and who's going to quit. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Okay. Are you going to be able to make the trip to Norman? We get to see you Saturday. Man, I sure wish, but no, they're, they're not going to send me out. That would be a fun trip. <laughs> yeah, it would. All right. I'll uh, appreciate you giving us some info on Kent State. Uh, really appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Sure thing. Well, Allen didn't seem too confident that this game's going to be very competitive. Oh, well, if anyone would know, it would be Allen. Uh, you know, he's, as we've said, seen more Kent State than anyone else. Um, I don't know. I, I know that he expects that and i think i expect that too but i still am fascinated by the matchup and how different this is going to be from what we saw week one yeah and god bless those players from kent state washington oklahoma wow. and georgia in their non-con schedule my god uh, just an absolute beat down and as a uh Way to save a little bit of cash flow, hanging out in Tulsa for a week, too, in between. It's like we know what's going on here. We're trying to we're trying to bank some money playing these games. Yeah. I respect it. I really do. All right, let's preview some of the other big games in week two. But first, it's time to get back to the tailgate, people. Come on, it's football season. There's nothing better to drink at the tailgate than the number one seltzer, clubby seltzers. Clubby Seltzers in Oklahoma Company is already winning national awards because their product is delicious. It tastes exactly like a club special, but it's a seltzer. And they're not just for the tailgate. They're perfect to drink by the pool after mowing the lawn, whatever. If you haven't tried Clubby Seltzers yet, go grab some. You won't regret it. The variety pack is out. They've got new flavors out. They've got a new can out. Find a place near you that has Clubbies. Visit ClubbySeltzers.com. And attention business owners, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. 
Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Are you looking to buy or sell a house in the OKC metro area? Use the Ronaldo Cloud Group, Stacia Ronaldo and Maddie Cloud are with Sage Sotheby's International Realty. They believe in prompt communication and honest relationship and luxury service. And that's exactly what they gave Gabe. They sold a house for Gabe. They found a house for Gabe's brother. They also found a house for Lane Johnson. We can't recommend them enough. You can reach them by calling or texting Stacia at 918-671-6450, or you can contact them on Instagram at at sold by Stacia and at sold by Maddie underscore. All right, college football roundup. Let's preview some of these week two matchups. Got to start in Austin. Number one, Alabama travels to Austin to take on the Texas Longhorns. Alabama is a 20-point favorite currently, and I am so interested in this football game. I And one of the – maybe the thing I'm most intrigued by, it's not Quinn Ewers. It's Texas' defense, right? Like, have have they gotten any better? No. Has Gary Patterson made a difference? Year two in Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. Can they slow down Bryce Young and that Bama offense at all? Right. That that's like the main thing that I'll be watching. But then there's also Texas's offensive line, which I think that is that's going to determine this football game because Texas O line versus Will Anderson, DJ Dale, Dallas Turner, all those other creatures that Alabama has along their defensive front. I just, I don't see Texas's offensive line being able to block those guys. I just don't see, it, especially with the way that the true freshmen looked in the opener. Like they, they had some bright spots, but there are also some spots where you're like, Oh yeah, that guy, that, those guys look like true freshmen. So I don't think it's going to go very well for him, Ted. And I, I just don't know how big of an impact, B. John Robinson, Xavier Worthy can have if Bama's defensive line is living in the backfield. You know, like when yours may be the least of their worries in this game, but I mean, he could have a miserable time on Saturday. I I just don't see it for the Longhorns. I, I, I don't know if this is going to quite look the way that Georgia and Oregon looked, but it could kind of look that way. Well, I, you know, a lot of that really depends on Texas and, and how much better they've gotten. And kind of Texas is a team that it's all about mindset when they think they're good and everything's kind of going their way. They can actually show up and look like a really good football team. If things are falling apart on them, they they scatter, right? And they don't show up. That's how you can take a team that looked really good to start off last season, but finished five and seven. You know, you have a five and seven team that's playing one of the biggest favorites 
to win a national championship in a really, really long time that is experienced, that have last year's best offensive player in the country, best defensive player in the country. They've played in a ton of big games. The atmosphere in Austin, Texas is not going to be intimidating at all for Alabama. Uh, They're more detailed. They're more disciplined. They're tougher. I, they're more talented. You can go down any avenue you want, and it is advantage Alabama. And I, you take a, an Oregon team that's got really good coaching and was a good squad last year, lost some guys, there's no doubt, lost some guys, but they got absolutely assaulted by Georgia assaulted and I would say the edge in this game is heavier in Alabama's favor than the Georgia Oregon game was in Georgia's favor so that doesn't mean the game's going to unfold like that but you can go position by position player by player coach by coach situation by situation and I don't know that you ever any point find any edge in texas's favor and in most of them it is a dramatic favorite to alabama just look at the quarterback matchup the most important matchup on the field it ain't close so i don't know there's no margin of victory in alabama's favor that would surprise me I just, I wonder how Texas even keeps it close, you know, like what has to happen? Is it a, is it a big special teams play? Like we we saw special teams play huge roles in some of those week one games. Like, is it a block punt, a muffed punt for Bama? Like something like that, that can, that can really swing things for Texas, but. It just seems too easy, doesn't it? Yeah. It just seems too easy. It it does. It feels like Alabama is just going to beat the absolute shit out of Texas. But I, I don't know, man. Like I, I do think there's a conversation to be had whether you would take Jameer Gibbs or Bijan Robinson. I'm probably taking Bijan. He's awesome. But other than that, I. Well, but okay, and that's true. And maybe the the position. I knew what you meant, though. I knew what you meant. Yeah. Would you rather take Bijan and his offensive line against Bama's defense or Gibbs and his offensive line against Texas? Not, not even a conversation. <laughs> so right. I, you just it, never know. I, well, th- it, there, there's a reason they play the games though. Right. right. So that's why uh, I assume you're going to be watching just like I am. So. Well, you know, I, I think it's interesting that I've heard some people like national pundits and I don't know like what the reasoning is, but try and act like Alabama is just not going to care about this game. How, what world are they living in? There's, of course, Alabama cares about this game. Nick Saban cares deeply about this game. You don't think that showing up in the state of Texas where there's more high school, top tier high school football recruits than anywhere else, and stomping the flagship program of that state, 
that's about to come into your conference, you don't think that Nick Saban wants to go in there and prove a point, especially against a, a former coordinator of his that, you know, went, went to Texas touting a bunch of Alabama players and winning a national championship as, as something to build on there at Texas. You don't think that Nick Saban, as psychotic as he is, is thinking about that? He, he's going to try to score a hundred. Like it, this is like the Texas, this is like the Texas takeover year for Saban, right? Because yeah. he's going to want to embarrass Texas. And then here in a couple of weeks, when A&M comes to Tuscaloosa, he's going to try to beat them by a thousand too. So like, there's no doubt. I I'm with you. I think that man is on a mission to show the top prospects in Texas that Bama is, is still Bama. It's right. I'm scared for Texas. I really am. <laughs> I know. I know it. I, you know, you just have, you got a juggernaut coming in against a team that is uh, maybe improved over last year. We don't even know if they are. I, I'm, I'm not even, I don't know that that's a something that's a guarantee. I'm more concerned about whether or not Texas can beat uh, Kansas than I am if they can keep it close against Alabama. Yeah. I, I wonder how many times Quinn Ewers is going to get sacked because he's not at like at I, I watched a lot of that opener against ULM. He he does not move well. Like he doesn't move like some of the you know the best quarterbacks we see in college football. Like you compare him to Dylan Gabriel, it's not even close. Like DG's right. a way better athlete than yours. So I like even if those guys are getting beat at the line of scrimmage, like he I don't think he can really get away. So I I don't know. It's yeah and that's that's what's interesting too is you know i don't i don't necessarily think texas is a very good program but their coaches aren't dumb they've got a good coaching staff they're not going to they're not going to go five man protection all game and let dallas turner and will anderson come off the edge without someone there helping so there's probably going to be a lot of max protect but you know you're hurting. I mean, the, you, you don't just get to max protect and not have any consequences from that. Right. You're going to, they're going to be over and under every single receiver out there on the back end. And they're still going to be getting to the quarterback and you're going to be throwing into double coverage with guys over and under all the, all, all the way across your three receivers. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, I do think it's interesting that, you know, Sark's had a long time to put together an offensive game plan and clearly has a, a very good understanding of what Saban wants to do defensively. Remember Ajay Hall was back with Texas. He was just there last year. So, like, they're going to have a bunch of information about what Alabama does. I just don't know if it's going to help them that much because Alabama is just going to have them outmanned. So, I yeah. I don't know. But it is, uh, it's a game we've been talking about all offseason. And it's here, man. I can't wait. I know. It's going to be it's awesome. It, I just don't know how people are going to react if Texas like actually plays well and it's a good game. I don't like. I, hey, if there's one thing that we know about Texas, it's that, and th and this is a hallmark of a really crappy program. They are Jekyll and Hyde. If it's a big game against someone that they, I guess, deem a worthy opponent, they could show up and and happen to look very good. They do it against Oklahoma every year, right? A five and seven Texas team had Oklahoma down 21 points last year, and it looked like it was going to be an absolute blowout. 
So, I mean, that's the thing that you just don't know with Texas is they are up and down like crazy. Yeah. It's going to be fun. All right, let's get to the next game. Number 24, Tennessee travels to take on number 17, Pitt. The fighting Josh Heupels are six and a half point favorite. And I, I think it's safe to say that the Vols didn't have to exert as much energy in their opener. They just smacked the hell out of Ball State. But hey, Pitt did have a few extra days to get some rest after that awesome uh, backyard brawl uh, last Thursday night. I do wonder how much Pitt player, Pitt's players partied after that game, what the uh, what the old recovery process was like for that group. But really, when I look at this one, man, Hendon Hooker's the difference for me. I mean, he he's great. I love watching him play. I think he's improved as a passer just from the things I've heard Heupel say about him, from the way he looked against Ball State. He, he can just make so many things happen, not only with his arm as a passer, but he's clearly he's a big weapon as a runner. And, you know, you just look at like that QB matchup, right? Keaton Slovis or Hendon Hooker. I I just think that Hooker, he, he's just got such a bigger, he's just such a bigger difference maker than Keaton Slovis. Plus, Pitt couldn't run it against West Virginia. And I'm not trying to belittle West Virginia's defensive front. Like I, I like the Stills guy. Like they they played their ass off in that game. But Tennessee's got a little more beef up front than West Virginia's got. So can Pitt run it effectively against the Vols when they couldn't run it against West Virginia? I I don't know, but I do think Tennessee will be able to run it more effectively, right? That that combo of Jamari Small, Jalen Wright, I mean, both of those guys can go a little bit. So I like Tennessee in this game, and I, I Hinton Hooker is pretty much the main reason. I think I think he's really, really good. He's stud. He's super efficient. He's he is like the biggest unknown commodity after the season he had last year. I mean, it was incredible. It was like he had like what 20, 25, 28 touchdowns through the air four interceptions, added like another 12 uh, rushing touchdowns to go with that. Incredibly efficient with the football. Had a high, I think he was 73, 75% completion percentage a year ago. So I expect him to to continue that. And, you know, I like, I thought Pitt's front seven was actually pretty impressive against West Virginia. But here's the thing, and we know this, what's the neutralizer with this offense? Tempo. Right, they're going to go tempo. They're going to throw some up up tempo stuff at them. Uh, run a bunch of plays in a short amount of time. They're going to run it. They're going to throw RPOs. They're going to throw bubbles to one side. They're going to run a quick to the other. Make that defense pursue all across the football field and wear them out. I'm a bit biased. I'm really high on Tennessee this year. I think they'll win the game, and I think they may win it comfortably. I'm with you, and I, I don't know if it's my newly acquired SEC bias or what, but <laughs> I don't know, man. The SEC, they're just kind of – everybody's smacking people around right now. I mean, I know yeah. we're only one week into the season, but I I just can't – I can't unsee what Georgia did to Oregon. I just can't. I and and Tennessee, a lot of people think Tennessee is a team that can challenge 
for the East. So East is interesting, man. Florida's looking good too. It's it's fascinating. I don't even know like who's the bad team in the East. I I mean I I suppose well Vanderbilt, they're not good. Right. But, but like South Carolina is they're a solid team. Now they weren't great in week one, but the East, Kentucky, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia. And we're going to find out more about Missouri this week. Don't, they've got K-State this week, right? K-State, yep. So, I mean, we'll find out more about Missouri this week. So, yeah, yep. I think the easy answer is Vanderbilt, though. But other than that, yeah. I, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. All right, but one more game. you got to remember, though, Vanderbilt's about to be the best program in the country. That's a great point. It's a great point. Clark Lee said that. That happened. You're right. Uh, okay, one more game I want to touch on. Number nine, Baylor, heads to Provo, Utah, to take on number 21, BYU. BYU, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite. I think we're going to learn a lot about Baylor in this game. Right. And if you if you didn't happen to tune in to any of their game against Albany, let me just I'll, I'll fill you in. Blake shape. It looked awesome. I mean, pushing the ball, carrying out extended fakes in that outside zone scheme boot game, you know, move the move the launch point and just letting it rip down the field. Had a couple of just beautiful deep balls to Monterey Baldwin and how Presley, I mean, he, he looked polished. I mean, he just, I, I, I'm not a quarterback guru, but like, he just looks like everything is synced up the right way when he's throwing the football. Like it just yeah. looks, it, it, I feel like it looks the way it's supposed to look, but this game, you look at these two teams and what they have at the line of scrimmage. I, I think it's going to come down who can run the football and who can stop the run. Right. Uh, and Jaron Hall, BYU's quarterback, he is he adds to that BYU run game pretty significantly. Like that guy is an absolute athlete. Shapen really doesn't add to the run game the way that Hall does, but I can't wait to watch the grown men from BYU and all these vets from Baylor just smack into each other at the line of scrimmage. It's gonna be awesome. No, this is a this is a, a really good good matchup of, of line of scrimmage play, some good skill position play. I, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I just feel like Baylor's got more overall team speed than BYU. And maybe it's just the bias that I've, I've watched way more Baylor than I have BYU. So did, did that's you just see the what, way I feel? Do you see what Aranda said? Mm-hmm. It was a week or two ago. I talked about it on my big 12 show. He said they had like a record number of guys run over 20 miles per hour. It's like 20 wow. plus guys that they got hitting over 20 miles per hour and practice on the GPS stuff. Wow. They got some dudes yeah. that can absolutely go. Yeah. And, and that's, that's been a hallmark of, of Baylor teams for quite some time. Now they've got, they got really, really good team speed. And I just, I think that that's going to be the difference. And I, Shapen, we don't have very much info on him, but what we do have, he has been absolutely explosive at quarterback with yards, 
and touchdowns, pushing the ball down the field. Like that's the scary part. Like last year they had Baylor had an incredible running game, but they did they couldn't push the ball down the field at all. Like you add that dynamic to their offense, it just makes their running game that much more dangerous and I got to go with Baylor in all of these games. And it's probably going to be a disaster. And this is how, you know, it's a disaster, but I think Alabama destroys Texas. I think Tennessee handles Pitt convincingly. And I kind of feel the same with Baylor, even though they're a three and a half point dog. Yeah. And I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think Baylor's going to win. Now, that could be by Big 12 bias, but I know that's a tough football team along the line of scrimmage. And like you said, the assumption is that Baylor's got more speed at the skill positions. Right now, the the Nakua kid from BYU, I really like him. He's a good player. Uh, Hall, the quarterback, he's, he's really fun to watch. But Baylor just always has really fast dudes, man. and if and they're tough, they they hit. They are a physical group. No, but should we factor in the altitude? Do we have to factor in the altitude? I don't even know how to factor in altitude, but there is altitude in Utah. I'm told. Yeah, there's some altitude. I factor it in Baylor's favor because Shapen's going to be able to throw the ball farther, and the team speed is going to be that big, that much bigger of a factor. They're going to run even faster in the thin air. (laughs) Hey, hey, maybe that's how it works, dude. You would love how they set up all their play action stuff against Albany. Just I, I really do. I love watching Grimes call plays and the way that they set some of that stuff up. And it was just like textbook gash them outside zone gash. And I know it's Albany, but gash them outside zone gash them outside zone. Play action fake looks exactly like it. He just sets up and just lets it fly down the field. Perfect. Is it You're the, just like, oh, my the God. The G pass where it, it feels like boot to the underneath guys, but it's just like a half roll out and he hits the deep crosser. Just, bomb. It's just beautiful. It's just gorgeous. It's gorgeous football is what it is, Ted. All right, let's finish up with our winners and losers of the week. But first... First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, savings accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all, whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone. Everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank with First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And if you're a whiskey or bourbon drinker, stop what you're doing. Head to your favorite liquor store and buy some Balcones products. You got to grab some of Balcones Lineage Single Malt Whiskey. It was voted one of the top 20 whiskeys in the world by Whiskey Advocate and you'll be shocked by how affordable it is. Also, you got to snag some of Balcones Baby Blue Corn Whiskey. It's made from blue corn. That's the fancy corn. I saw a guy with the fancy corn hat at, at the game. Oh, yes. Yeah, he, came, awesome. by. Yeah, he, he came by when Plank and I were doing uh, pregame radio. Oh, that's great. 
It was funny, man. And that is why they have won at, have won more than 25 awards. And last but certainly not least, you got to buy some of Balcony's pot still bourbon. It's big flavors make it the perfect bourbon to drink year-round. Remember, in 2012, Balcony Single Malt won the best-in-glass competition, beating brands like Johnny Walker and McAllen. This stuff is the real deal, people. If you love great whiskey and bourbon at a great price, then Balcony's products are the only way to go. The whiskey may be made in Texas, but the owners are from Oklahoma. To find a liquor store that has it, visit BalconiesDistilling.com. As always, Ted, kick us off. Who do you have as your winner of the week? I had to go with with Coach Ed Orgeron. Uh, (laughs) Did you see this audio from, I don't know if that was today or yesterday, but he was at the, uh, what was it, the Little Rock Athletic Club, and they were asking him about, you know, LSU. And he told the story. <laughs> he said, uh, they're going to give him the $17.1 million, uh, left on his contract. And he said, when do you want me to leave? And what door do you want me to leave from? <laughs> I believe the, I believe the quote was what door do you want me out of brother? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think the uh, the firing there at LSU is worrying him at all. He is living his best life right now. 17 million bucks. Uh, you know, I do think it's interesting that I, he is he's a unique individual. There's no doubt. I sometimes I wonder how smart he is. But the dude can absolutely recruit, and the players love him. And there's a place in football for a guy like that. Now, I don't know what the right fit is, but I have a hard time believing that he's done with college football. I could be wrong. He can't do any of the shows because you can't understand anything that he's saying. So I have a hard time believing that they would hire him for that. Maybe they would just because, you know, it'd be entertaining. You never know what he's going to say, but I don't know. Do you, do you think that coach O's going to make it another appearance in college football? I, I don't know if he's going to be a head coach again, but I, I would be stunned if he's not a defensive line coach again. Yeah. Because like you said, the players love him and that guy can recruit. Yep. I wouldn't mind him being a special assistant to the head coach here at OU, man. Like if he could uh, there if, you go. Hit him and Todd Bates and Chavis, all three recruiting defensive linemen. Yeah, sign me up. If OU's gonna be throwing cash around, get Coach O. Let's go. I'm just curious how he fits in lifestyle wise with uh, the message and everything that Venables has been pushing, but Hey, if you're just, just, just do the recruiting thing, man, that's, that, that would be good. You need it. You need a couple of those guys, right? You got to have a couple. Yes. Of them. yes, absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious though. I, and, and you know, that's why I laugh a lot of times and, I halfway joke that I feel like Scott Frost is self-sabotaging the the Nebraska team to try and get fired before October 1st. But, you know, it, it looked like it again this week for a big portion of the game. He just couldn't quite 
get it done. I almost, almost uh, could pull off the horrible loss, but yeah, I don't know. I I just loved uh, Coach O's honesty and thought it was hilarious. Whenever he said, uh, when do you want me to leave and what door do you want me to leave from? <laughs> what door do you want me to leave from, brother? <laughs> he's, <laughs> it did. He's one of a kind. All right. Who do you have as your loser of the week? I know we hit this game already, but I had to say Sarkeesian. You know, there's a couple of different ways you can approach whenever you are a a, a big underdog at home to a team the caliber of Alabama. And I think whenever you totally dodge like the moment that it is and try and talk down like what type of impact it has and what type of measuring stick it can be for your program and basically just say like, you know, this game doesn't define us. You know, we're trying to get to the big 12 championship game. This game has really nothing to do with that. I think you're telling your team that you don't think that they can win and that I, it's okay to go out there and fail. Like we've got other goals that we're looking at. This one doesn't, doesn't factor in. I, I mean, I guess I understand it to try and maybe downplay some expectations in the media and with fans, but you're talking to your team more than you're talking to anyone in that position. And I don't know. I feel like it sets a really bad example for the players that, Hey man, coaches, coaches punting on this one. He really doesn't care about it. Like he knows we can't win. So it's not that big of a deal. And if the players take that mindset into this game, it'll be really bad. It's already good. has the potential of being really bad, but that just, I just, I don't know. I don't like that mindset at all. I, I was really, really surprised when I, I saw those clips from his presser. Yeah. It was one of those where I saw it and I was just like, what is like my, my main question after it was like, what, what is he trying to accomplish by saying that? Like, Hey, this isn't going to define us. You know, we're, we're, our goal is to be in the big 12 championship game in December. Like this doesn't affect that. E- every game you play affects to affects the team that you are going to be. Like I think how, he's sending smoke signals out there that they're not any good and they're about to get absolutely curb stomped. You can't say that. I mean, I guess we ask coaches to be <laughs> honest. I get we ask coaches to be honest, and then the guy's honest, and I'm over here like saying you can't say that. Well, maybe I should appreciate it, but like if you're gonna take that approach, I mean, be almost just kind of I don't know, self dealt, you know, self deprecating about it. Be like, ah, we're going to get beat by a thousand. No one thinks we can win. So we're going to go give it our yeah. best shot. Like, or everyone's told approach. us all year that we're going to get killed. So, I mean, yeah, what like, does take it really that matter, approach. Right? Don't say, oh, this, I mean, this game doesn't affect our goals. Uh, I just, I just wonder how the players react when he sees, when they see that stuff or is Sarkeesian like, hey, I'm going to say this stuff publicly, but in the team meeting, he's like, hey, Guys, I don't mean any of that shit. We're going to like, hey, they're coming to town and they're going to get our best shot. I'm just, I'm not going to put any of that out there for them. Or I, maybe that's what he's doing, but I, yeah, 
I don't know. I watched the presser and it seemed pretty sincere. He was just like, oh, I mean, it's not, this game's no big deal. <laughs> it was weird. I know. And what's crazy is, like I said earlier, the guy on the other sideline is psychotic. And this game means everything to him. And yeah, it, this, this game has nothing to do with Alabama winning the SEC either. But it has everything to do with recruiting. Has everything to do with what the perception of your program is. Like, Sarkeesian can sit there and dodge that it's a measuring stick, but everyone in the country is using this as a measuring stick to see what he's done at Texas in his first two years. That's just how it's going to be viewed. And you just if you just dismiss it as this doesn't matter, our only measuring stick is the Big 12 championship, well, I don't know, it just seems like it sets a bad example, but what do I know? Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I, I thought it was thought it was odd. I, I I did as well. All right, my winner and loser. Let's roll for my winner of the week. Did you see this, Francis Tiafo? Did you watch any of that against Nadal? I saw I saw some of it, but I didn't see the whole story. So yeah, this is this is incredible. So he beats, so he's an American tennis player. So his parents are immigrants. I believe it was like Sierra Leone. I want to say his parents are immigrants and he just beat Rafa Nadal at the U S open to reach the quarterfinals. He's like the first American to reach the quarterfinals. I think I read it's like the last 10 years or something on the men's side. And he's the youngest American to reach the quarterfinals at the U S open since Andy Roddick in 06. So like it, it, it's a big deal, but I read this article about Tiafo and it was, it was, I, I mean, it's, it's like a movie, man. Like his dad, his dad, you know, his parents immigrate. And then his dad was the maintenance guy at Maryland's tennis center. And that's how we got to start in tennis because he slept in a spare room there. Like, like that's where they lived. And I think I read like him and his brother shared a massage table. Like that's where they slept as kids. And that's I how he got to like, start playing tennis. I feel like maybe I saw something on real sports on HBO about this a little while back. It's been like a year or two ago, or maybe a little bit more than that, but yeah, that's crazy. It's that's it's unbelievable. A, it's a really cool story. So now, I mean, and he's American. So it's like, yeah, this is, I know who I'm cheering for now in men's tennis. No doubt. Like, yeah. No doubt. That's Team cool. Tiafa, let's go. Let's do it. That's but so cool. My winner of the week, I mean, this guy, he's having himself a week. Anthony Richardson. Mm. I mean, he is, he is the talk of college football right now. He was Kirk Herbstreet, number one performing player of week one. Dane Brugler, who we've had on here, who does the NFL draft stuff uh, for the athletic, said he's the most interesting player slash prospect in all of college football. Uh, Richardson's odds to win the Heisman went from 60 to 1 to 18 to 1 on FanDuel. Yeah. Like Florida shot all the way up to number 12 in the AP poll. And he's got another great opportunity this weekend. They've got number 20, Kentucky coming to Gainesville for a primetime matchup on Saturday night on ESPN. So 
Ted, he's got another opportunity to go ball out and have the entire country talking about him again, man. I mean, this guy, he he's the talk of college football right now. Yeah. And when you have big time games like this and you're under the lights and you go out there and perform against good teams, like that's the story that people want, right? You got to have a story. And I, the, the Heisman, unfortunately, sometimes, not every time, but it can be as much about the story as it is the play on the field. And, you know, coming from, you know, somewhat unknown and bursting onto the scene this quick is a story a lot of people want to learn more about. So, yeah, it's it's awesome. Now, here's what I wonder. After such a huge emotional big time win in week one against Utah, can you back it up you know, with a really tough, another physical football team coming to town? Yeah, it's, it's going to be tough, right? I mean, we all, we all know what Mark Stoops has built there at, at Kentucky and there's still, there's that weird, like suspended players thing for Kentucky yeah. coming into this game. And I, I saw Mark Stoops presser this week and it didn't sound like he had much more information on those guys. And remember their star running back, Chris Rodriguez is one of those suspended guys. And they had a few running backs get banged up in their opener. So that's an interesting situation for the Wildcats heading to that game. I, I went back and watched the Florida Utah game again, and I am absolutely in love with what Billy Napier does with his run game. I mean, true zone, Ted, and it's basically all they ran. And I loved it. I loved it <laughs> so much. And I am, I am really interested because Kentucky has earned their reputation of being a really physical team, especially along the line of scrimmage, right? They've earned it. Like they, they have built a culture yep. of toughness. Can Florida run it all over Kentucky the way that they ran it all over Utah? I, I don't know. Clearly, Anthony Richardson's legs factor into that as well. But the buzz around Florida and Anthony Richardson, I mean, it's real, man. And it's only going to grow if they win this game. So, like, this is a game that if you would ask me two weeks ago, hey, are you fired up about Kentucky at Florida? I would have been like, I mean, I, I guess like my boy Darlington is down on the staff there, Florida. I want him to be happy. I want them to do well. So yeah, I guess. But now it's one of these where I'm like, man, I, I got to watch this game. Yeah. Well, you know, here's the thing. Florida, it, that was a great week one win. And I think Napier's a, a really good coach. He seems to have a, a really good uh, way about him. How do you handle success, though? Like, If they can channel the momentum they got off of that Utah game in the right direction, well, then I think you could have something special on your hands. But if you if you start believing that, you know, you're maybe a little bit better than what you actually are and you feel like it's just going to happen, you show up and teams lay down and you win, they're going to have another thing coming. You know, it's it's hard to back up emotional big-time performances like they just had against Utah whenever you've got another incredibly difficult team coming to town and they don't there's not a whole lot of experience in those type of situations on their team right now yeah but 
I'm still excited. To but see when you Anthony have a quarterback Richardson. like Anthony Richardson, sometimes it don't matter. Yeah, no kidding. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that guy play again. Uh, I really am. All right, for my loser of the week, uh, thought about going with uh, accomplishing things on Sundays. That this hasn't happened yet, but oh yeah, by the way, the NFL starts this weekend. So no, any anything you use to get done on Sunday, Ted, it's out the window. We're gonna be on the couch watching, man. Brutal, brutal. I need like a television that's just like that could just like follow me around that floats in the air that I can I can still get some things done, but still watch some football, pay attention to a little bit of fantasy, uh red zone it. Ah, oh, it's yeah, it's gonna be tough. That Cleveland but Carolina also- game is gonna be it's gonna be so awesome. I can't wait for that. Uh but, leash. Yeah, it's gonna be great, but uh, for my loser of the week, also thought about going with DJ Uyunglele because man, he righted the ship right against Georgia Tech. You know, played some pretty good football in that second half. Clemson won comfortably; they covered. But Kane Klubnik got out in the field, and oh my God, did he look good, dude! Uh, Uyunglele until he had that little. Um, that flip pass whenever he's about to get sacked. Yeah. He was terrible. Yeah. Bad. A lot of those sacks were like his fault. He wasn't like, it was just, it was terrible. It was bad. I felt, I was like, I, I can't watch this happen right now. Everyone on Twitter was like, is it time to go to club Nick? Is it time to go to club Nick? Like in guys that are like, you know, former quarterbacks or, you know, work, still work covering college football or pro football. I was like, damn, everyone is saying, put the young guy in. And we saw that a glimpse one of play it. He- changed the, the mindset. And he, he finally got, uh, he started free willing a little bit and was looser, but God, he was so tight and I, it was bad, man. I, I don't know. I, if, if they get first half, I uh, DJ, they're they're not they're not gonna do much, man. Yeah, I think they got a couple more weeks to figure that quarterback situation out. But just the glimpse we saw of Club Nick, yeah, I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, this guy could absolutely rip it. It was it's the same situation all over again, man. With with Bryant and uh, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but my loser of the week, and I know that eventually they're going to be the best program in the country, Vanderbilt football. (laughs) I don't know if you saw this yet, but they've got Wake Forest this weekend, right? Solid ACC opponent. You got Mitch Griffiths at quarterback for Wake Forest, had a good performance in the opener, but then Vandy got some bad news. Because Wake Forest announced that star quarterback Sam Hartman has been cleared to return the play and will most likely play in this game on Saturday. It was revealed that Hartman has Paget Shredder syndrome. Paget Shredder syndrome. I don't know. I, I Frenched it up a little bit for you. Yeah. Uh, which I guess it, it's something to do with a certain type of blood clot right? Had the surgery, had the clot removed, all appears to be well now for Sam Hartman, which means that Vandy, instead of facing Mitch Griffiths, Vandy will be uh, 
be facing a guy at quarterback that accounted for 50 touchdowns last year and more than 4,500 total yards. So, oh, and by the way, if anyone missed it, uh, Vandy played Elon last week and didn't exactly blow their doors off. They won 42-31 over, I, I believe it's the Elon Phoenix. Not exactly a dominant performance. But yeah, Hartman's back, which is great. I'm very happy. I was really worried when he when they announced that he was going to be out indefinitely, but he's back, and I'd be really surprised if he doesn't play in that game. I've never heard of Elon before. Have you ever heard of that? I have because a radio producer at SiriusXM named Ryan Ballack is an Elon alum. Wow. Only reason uh, I know. That's amazing. And I'm sure Vanderbilt was like, oh, Sam, we're so happy that you're you're healthy and everything's okay and you're back. This is this is great news, man. We're so thrilled. We were yeah. worried. We're happy. Yeah. The, yeah. the Vanderbilt hospital people are like, awesome. Yeah, we love medicine. <laughs> this is great. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, hey, um, you know what? Vandy, you're it's just you're gonna have to wait a little bit longer to become the best program in the country. It's not gonna happen this week. You know what would be the most disrespectful thing if Dave Clawson was like, We can win with Griffiths. <laughs> Sam, just take the weekend <laughs> off. Don't rush back, man. We'll give you a We'll give you a full, you know, take the weekend off. Then you'll get a full week of practice next week and we'll roll. We Mitch can win us this game against Vanderbilt. That would be the ultimate sign of disrespect. If he just kind of said, oh, hey, we thought this was a great opportunity to get an extra week's rest for him and make sure everything's <laughs> all good to go. Like it's the bye week, like you're missing the game before the bye week, man. That's hilarious. Yeah, but poor Vanderbilt now, hey. We'll see how competitive that game is. Good. Maybe it's more interesting than I think it'll be. But Hartman's fun to watch, man. So in all seriousness, really excited that he's he's all good and that we're going to just see him play some football this year because he's totally – if you haven't agree. watched that guy, man, he's he's electric. He's fun to watch. Yep. it's. Uh, I, I hope he goes out there and absolutely lights it up. Sorry, Vandy. Yep. All right. Episode 247 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Sunday night, Monday morning, Sunday night-ish. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 3 to 6 on 94.7 The Ref. You can hear me from 2 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Have an awesome weekend. And until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. Do what you always do, okay? Take care of each other.